This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. A reading from Hebrews. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking, For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. This phrase, once more, indicates the removal of of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For indeed, our God is a consuming fire. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over, was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured her on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath. Jesus answered him and said, you hypocrites. Don't each one of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the manger and lead it to give it water? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? And when he said this, all of his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace be yours from Jesus who 
is still doing some wonderful things. Farmer one day finds a little baby eagle, an eaglet, all alone. Uh, for lack of something better to do with it, just puts it in the chicken coop and puts a little chicken feed there and ultimately just raises it as, as a chicken, which is not legal to do. One day, the park ranger comes by and notices that this old boy's got a, an eagle in his chicken coop. He says, what's that eagle doing in there? And, and he says, that, sir, that used to be an eagle, but that is now a chicken. I trained it to be a chicken. It's a chicken. And the ranger says, well, let's just put that to the test. So he takes him out of the cage, holds up the eagle and says, eagle, thou art an eagle. Spread forth your wings and fly. And the, the eagle looks around, looks down at all the chickens, plops off his hands back into the chicken coop. And the ranger says, one more try. Let's meet tomorrow morning when the sun's coming up. So they do. They get in the pickup truck, go to the edge of the foothills, the exact same scenario, holds up the eagle, says, eagle, thou art an eagle. Spread thy wings and fly. And like energy pulsing through this eagle's body, spreads out its wings, flies over the hills, never to return. Though it had been kept as a chicken, it was an eagle. The world has a way of dehumanizing us, doesn't it? A way of causing us not to see our true worth before God. Has a way of making us little more than objects to whom advertisers can pitch. Every commercial is like looking at another bag of chicken feed. Even religion, especially religion that loses touch with God's grace, has the same kind of effect. Reduces us to either a bunch of law keepers or a, a law breaker, uh, classifies us as either believers or non-believers, uh, conformers or non-conformers. And so let me say it bluntly, just because you were raised as a chicken and just because you feel like a chicken today and just because you've been acting like a chicken and just because someone else tells you you are a chicken, you are not a chicken. You're an eagle, an eagle. This passage from Luke is Jesus healing this woman who's been reduced to chicken status for 18 years. It's an incredible visual image if you'll just sit with it and let your mind go there, bent over, hunched back, unable to look up, unable to do all the things that others are able to do. It's an incredible story about incredible grace, incredible power. Walter Wink wrote a lot of great books. One of them is called Engaging the Powers. In that book, Wink suggests that this one story is the very core of Jesus' gospel. And in just seven verses, attacks all of the religious taboos that have held people captive and for which Jesus came to free us. And he goes through a list. Let me go through them quickly. First, Jesus speaks to a woman, which is not the way things were done. You remember the story of the woman at the, at the well? And she's astonished that Jesus is talking to a Jew. But when the disciples come back, they're astonished that Jesus is actually talking to a woman. And second, he, he calls her forward in the synagogue, takes her out of the back of the bus and lets her come up to the front. Third, he actually touches her, which something just didn't happen in the ancient world. Fourth, he calls her, and this surprised me, I did not know this. He calls her a daughter of Abraham, and that phrase is not used anywhere in Jewish literature prior to this moment. Daughter of Abraham. Full heir, full partner in everything that we are about. Fifth, he actually heals her on the Sabbath day. I, I memorized the Ten Commandments when I was a kid. 
Remember the Sabbath? Keep it holy. Jesus demonstrates grace is more important than law. Compassion is more important than custom. And he reclaims the Sabbath for a day of delight and generosity with God rather than a rule. And last, and what I think might be most important, Jesus challenges the idea that illness is somehow God's punishment. And he's very specific about it in this story, even though it happened very fast. He asserts that she's not She's ill, but she's not ill because God somehow wanted her to be ill. But because there's evil in the world, and the way he calls that evil, he says Satan. Because of Satan, she's, she's been that way. In other words, this is how we say it today, bad things do happen to good people. And they happen all the time. And you cannot tell the righteous from the unrighteous by how big a house or how small a house or how high their cholesterol or how low their cholesterol. So it's an incredible story blows the whole mission and ministry of Jesus in one quick story. And it would have been awesome if it would have stopped there. But, but, breaking taboos, liberating people, sharing good news never goes unnoticed by religious elites. The leader of the synagogue, which I will forever call a religious twit, cannot handle it. And he doesn't just speak to Jesus. He keeps talking to everybody else in the community. That, by the way, is called triangulating. He says, there are six days. Everybody knows that. There are six days when the work ought to be done. Let her come on one of those other days and be healed. But she's not supposed to be here on the Sabbath. He's like, story about the usher in this, this old school church. And somebody wanders in off the street one morning and, and, is, and is inebriated and is pretty vocal in their worship. Praise the Lord. Amen. And, and the usher sees that it's bothering people. And so comes up, sir, you're going you're gonna to have to be a little more quiet. And he says, well, I'm just filled with the spirit. And the man turns to him and says, well, you didn't get it here. <laughs> Jesus miraculously heals a woman who's been bent over for 18 years. And the religious twit's observation is, well, you didn't get it here. Uh, uh, uh. Jesus is focused on people, not on rules. The rules are there to help the people, not hurt us. The rules are there not to turn us into chickens, but to help us fly like the eagles that we are. But the ruler of the synagogue doesn't get it. He thinks it's about obeying the law, and Jesus knows different. He knows that his heavenly Father is not primarily a rule maker. He's primarily a life giver. When you get that, when you, when you understand what Jesus understood, suddenly the focus moves from, from the law of God to the love of God. And commandments and rules and guidelines and traditions, they all become subordinate, always subordinate to the love of God. A love that is forgiving and welcoming and including and that sets us free to be what God created us to be. Now we advertised a few weeks ago that we would spend four weeks uh, reading through the, the book of Hebrews from the lectionary. And, and frankly, only because we did that, I can't let this go by. I, I'm kind of like required to go to that second reading for a moment. And it's a tough one. It is a really tough one. And the reason it's tough is because it has one analogy. That's it. And we don't understand the analogy. I don't have a clue about it. Here it is. Paul's making a comparison between Mount Sinai, that's where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, Mount Sinai, and Mount Zion, 
which is the throne of David in Jerusalem, where Jesus will gather with his disciples for the holy meal. Now, every Jewish Christian understood the difference between those mountains. You got the mountain of the law, and you got the mountain of God's covenant with David. And I'm about to explain to you why it is that there's a lot of African-American churches called Mount Zion and why there are hardly any Lutheran and Presbyterian and Episcopal European churches that have that same name. It's because they understood the analogy. They understood the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. They knew what Paul was talking about when he said, hey, you, you have not come to a mountain that is brimfire and dark and gloom into a voice that nobody can even stand to hear. You have not come to Mount Sinai, to the law, to a place so holy that you can't even really be there where you need to be protected from God. Rather, Paul continues in the letter to the Hebrews and saying, you've come to Mount Zion. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of a living God. You've come to God who's the judge of every person and the mediator of every person, Jesus. He's reminding them that they're not chickens. They're eagles. They're not slaves. They're not slaves to the law or to anyone else, which is the church name issue. They're not slaves. They're heirs of Abraham. And we were all created, not for Mount Sinai, but to soar at Mount Zion. And when we come to the mountain, like we have again today, we come not, not to get another set of stone tablets so that we can judge each other and judge ourselves. But we come to be welcomed and loved and included and reminded of who we really are. In just a moment, we're going to do something probably odd for a lot of churches, especially Lutheran churches, but we're going to have some anointing healing prayer. We're going to invite you to come forward for really an ancient rite. Um, the church might do this a little different, but in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are commanded to anoint and to lay hands on and to pray for one another. But you'll be invited to come forward if, if you wish to have someone put a hand on your forehead uh, to anoint you with the cross and to offer a prayer for your healing and your wholeness. And if you can't get up here, we'll, we'll come to you. And I, I've worked a long time in this very brief sentence, so let me say it as clearly as I can. This right isn't for everybody, but it is for all. Life has a way of beating us down. And there's nobody in this room that doesn't know that. Um, saps our enthusiasm, our energy, crushes our plans. Little by little, we find ourselves bent over um, by failure, by disappointment, by guilt, by shame. And little by little, others place burdens on us. And sometimes they're good people and religious people and they impose laws and rules and they threaten to rob us of our status as children of God. And they tell us that we have to climb Mount Sinai rather than just letting us dance around on Mount Zion. And let's, let's admit it, it's just very easy when we are bent like that to do what she did. To wonder what it is that I have done wrong. Why are my prayers not working? Worry that I'm not good enough to fit in, to be included. Sit in the back of the bus. Not claim my status. Tuck my wings under 
So here is the good news. It's the exact same good news that Paul preached to the Hebrews, and it's the good news that that bent over lady in the Gospel of Luke heard. Jesus is in this house. Jesus is in the world. And wherever Jesus is, that's Mount Zion. Whatever's afflicting you, whatever Satan has been doing to you, whatever's pulling you down, whatever's bending you over, whatever's causing you to break, God wants to break the chains that bind you and free you in Christ. And I can proclaim that because Jesus is in the house and you're not a chicken. You're an eagle. Amen.